Some of you may remember in 1987, baby Jessica in Midland, Tennessee, excuse me, Midland, Texas, uh, this 18-month-old little girl, her family had a, a babysitting service, uh, kind of a home babysitting service, and her very young mother uh, left the children, went inside to take a phone call. When she came back outside into the backyard, all the children were gathered around a certain area. It was an abandoned well. And 18-month-old Jessica McClure had fallen into the well 22 feet deep into the ground. The mother could hear her cries as she was crying out for her mother. I remember hearing about this. I was young, 11 years old, but this captured the attention of the nation. For two days, baby Jessica was stuck in that well. I remember waking up for school and hearing the story in the news as we ate breakfast, and they said another day, baby Jessica is still stuck at the bottom of the well. For 54 hours, America collectively held its breath, prayed, hoping this baby would survive. And sure enough, to God's glory and God's grace, she survived. That's a picture of her. It's another picture of her dirty and wrapped in, in gauze. And she came out and church bells all over America rang out. America celebrated George H.W. Bush and his wife Barbara had the rescuers and the family to the White House, and everyone was relieved. One child, one child captured the attention of a nation to where everybody just put their life on hold, praying and hoping that this child would be rescued and the outcome was good. Where does this uh, singular attention, this attention on one particular child, where, where does this come from? I want to suggest to you today that it was the impact of Jesus Christ and his view of children that changed the way the world looked at children. Because when Jesus came to the world, children were not valued, especially in the Roman Empire. In fact, children uh, lived very vulnerable lives. And Jesus understood this. Because Jesus was a child, and he was a child that was born in disgrace, because his parents weren't married. And so he had a shadow over his life and over the beginning of his life. Everyone thought that he was illegitimate. And Jesus was not born in glamorous conditions. He was born in what we now would consider a barn. His his little nursery crib was a feeding trough for cows. His nursery mate had four legs. He was wrapped up in very common clothes that you would not use for the purpose of protecting a newborn child. And then on top of that, Jesus' life was threatened. The state itself was trying to eliminate Jesus, so he lived his life on the run from Egypt back to Nazareth, living his life not in the stable way that would be preferred, always living in fear. And so Jesus understood the vulnerability of a child because he was a vulnerable child. And I suggest to you, you're going to see in Scripture today, that Jesus changed the way we view children 
And he has a huge heart for kids. And so should we. A famous story in my family is a story my dad told about his childhood. He was visiting family in another state that he didn't get to see very often. And at this particular family dinner, uh, family gathering, the dinner was supposed to be steak. My dad was really looking forward to having a steak dinner. And all day long, he smelled the steaks being grilled, anticipating the special dinner. So when dinner time came, dad got in line to get his steak and his uncle, who was in charge of the party, said, Walter, what are you doing in line? He said, all the kids are outside eating hot dogs. Now, evidently, this story really impacted him. Because every time we had hot dogs, that story would come up. Well, I want you to know this. Jesus invites kids to the steak line. That's what's different about, about him. My first observation today is this, is that children are invited. In a world where children were not invited, were not valued, who didn't have a place at the table, that didn't have a focus, Jesus changed everything. I love what he said in the book of Matthew, starting with chapter 19, verse 13. It says, the children were brought to him. And that's a really important part of the scripture because they didn't walk themselves. They didn't drive their cars or or bring their skateboards or motor scooters. Uh, They were at a place where parents had to bring the children to Jesus. And the parents brought these young children to Jesus so he might put his hands on them and pray. The tradition we have going back to the Jewish religion and Christianity that has sprung from that is when people are blessed, the priests or then the apostles and disciples lay their hands on the head of the person being blessed. So it is with healing. So it is with release of leadership and the prophetic gifts. We lay hands on those to bless them. So these parents instinctively and traditionally knew that it would be a good thing for their children that they were bringing, obviously very young children, to have Jesus put his hand on their head and bless them. But as we read the story, we find out the disciples rebuked them. Verse 14, then Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me. And here's the transformational sentence and statement. Because the kingdom of heaven is made up Of people like this. Jesus says. Heaven. The the real but idealistic place. Where there is no sin. That God dwells. And holiness and righteousness. Is a place for the weak. And vulnerable. And for those. Who are overlooked in society. For those who are marginalized. For those who are disregarded. For those who are not cared for. For in that context, children, the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. Now, the Jewish people did have a strong child ethic, but they were ruled by the Romans. And in the Roman Empire, children were not protected in the least. In fact, abortion, their form of abortion was very common. And there was a practice even more harmful than what we, what we would call abortion today. 
This practice was called exposure. What would happen is this. In the first eight days of a child's life, whoever was in charge of the home would make the determination whether that child should live or not. If it was a poor family, uh, they may make that decision based off economic realities. If it was a wealthy family, they may make that decision based off the health of the child. Does the child, is it the right gender? Is it male? Or if it is male, is it strong? Is it uh, going to add value not only to our family, but to culture itself? And if the head of the household uh, believed this child would not bring value, then the practice of exposure would happen. They would simply take the baby in his early days to the trash heap or to the dung heap. And they would leave that baby there. And you know the likely outcome. That was death. In the rare cases where there was not death, someone would take that baby, but not in a redemptive, humanitarian way. They would take that baby and enslave the baby. And that child would have no real type of life at all. This was accepted. This was common. This was the attitude people had towards children. But Jesus changes it. He changes that. He says, no, the kingdom of heaven is for the children. I mean, this is a kingdom for children. Long before Walt Disney, Jesus had this down. He said, it's a countercultural kingdom for children where they are not just tolerated, but they are embraced and accepted, and they are brought into the kingdom. Jesus changed culture's attitude towards children. He said, the kingdom belongs to the kids. The kingdom belongs to the children. And that's why his ethic is the primary reason I'm pro-life. I, I believe that children who are in the womb of their mother it should be protected. And now, in our country, they are not protected by the law. And I would challenge you to critically investigate that matter for yourself. Especially if you've never, if you've never investigated what happens in the third trimester of a partial birth abortion. As a citizen, you, you need to research that or find information about that. So, I am... I am personally and unapologetically pro-life. I believe that embryos are people and they should be protected. But for those of us who are pro-life, pro-life is more than just helping the baby survive or helping the baby endure the, the time of life where they're so vulnerable in their mother's womb. If we're truly to be pro-life, we have to look beyond just keeping them from extermination. To see what type of world are we bringing these babies into? Are we bringing these babies into a world that is, is giving them opportunity? Are we bringing these babies into a world in which they have a chance to be educated? Into a world in which the economy is strong enough for them to get a job? In a world where they're going to have adequate health care? Are we bringing these babies into a world where crime is diminishing? And that society and the family is getting stronger. And parenthood is, is believed as God's definition where a child needs a father and mother. This is a pro-life issue just as much as what happens during those critical years in the womb. 
so it is in our church. We, we have plans to, to help this cause and help bring healing to both men and women who have participated in an abortion. Because it is both genders' responsibility. And we're taking steps that you'll hear about in late July to be a place of healing, not a place of accusation. But pro-life goes beyond the womb. It goes beyond the doctor's office. And pro-life is the type of world we're creating for our kids. And Jesus understood this, that it wasn't just about inviting the kids. It was about blessing them. That's our second observation. Children are blessed. Look at verse 15 of Matthew 19. He says this, after putting his hands on them, he went on from there. Jesus didn't just give this general, hey, hey, thanks for coming, kids. Bless you. Bless you. I got to take off. I have to go. The scripture lets us know that he had personal intention upon these kids. The disciples had rebuked the parents. Then Jesus rebuked the disciples. And he said, let the kids come to me. I want to place my hands on the kids and I want to personally bless them. I want to personally touch them because the touch of Jesus changes a child forever. When Jesus blesses a child, it changes that child forever. And that is what we're in the business of doing here at the Church of Indian Lake. We are people. We are a people. We are a congregation that believes our children and our teenagers need the touch of Jesus. They need to be blessed by Jesus. And so we are bringing our kids to Jesus. And we're doing that in a lot of ways. As I've kind of looked through this congregation this afternoon or this morning, I've seen so many of you who have volunteered in our nursery. And I remember when I first came here six years ago, I had a child in the nursery. And while Beth and I did ministry, some of you volunteered in the nursery. And I want you to know something, that our heart in the nursery is not just to watch your kids, but it's to fill your kids with the love of Jesus, even the youngest among us, to let them come into a place where the presence of God is there. We know cognitively they're not able to reason and, and, and so forth, but children and babies can still feel the love of God. And they can feel the presence of God. And I want you to know this. I want you to know that whenever you volunteer in the nursery, kids are being touched by Jesus because of you. I think about our kindergarten through third grade. I couldn't think of a, of a more godly, talented, engaging children's pastor than Greg Wilson. Greg is creative, he's fun, he's passionate, but he has the heart of not only a father, but Greg is a, an earthly grandfather now. And he wants your kids to get it. And here's the cool thing. We have a problem with our kindergarten through third grade. It's a problem that I've never seen in any church. We don't have enough females volunteering for kindergarten through third grade. Now, we make sure there always is females in there because of the, those are requirements we have. We want both genders to be involved in that. But here's what's exciting about this. The men of our church are involved in children's ministry. That is incredible. That is a sign of the type of men we have here. Because discipling kids and impacting kids for the gospel is not 
merely are only a female's job. It's both male and female's job. And for us to raise up mighty men of God, we have strong men leading in kindergarten through third grade. And there's opportunities for some of our ladies to come alongside too. And then we have fourth through sixth grade, our 4.6 experience, which years ago we identified as the most crucial age for discipleship. And so we have a team of volunteers that are leading the most important ministry of our church, I would argue. They're all important in God's eyes, but it's a position, it's an age category I'm passionate about. And we've had elders and board members who volunteer weekly to give to that age group, to invest in that age group. And God is doing a great work in that age group. And I think about our Awana program that will start back in August. And Awana is a chance for kids to memorize God's word. And for kids to be offered salvation every week for those who have not heard. We don't try to convince kids they're unsaved every week. Let me clarify that. But for those who haven't heard, they have an opportunity to hear a salvation call. And it's, it's a chance for our kids to grow in a fun, engaging atmosphere. And, and can I tell you that we're inviting kids to the gospel. And when they come to Awana, they're being blessed. And it's because of you. Think about Vacation Bible School that's happening in just two to three weeks. And parenthetically, we need you to sign up for that. Sign your kids up for that. You can do that online or there's clipboards at the communication center. And so Pastor Chip is leading that. He told me before service, people need to register. Let's get registered. He's nodding his head up and down. Yes, here's the deal. Our church gets stronger every year because of Vacation Bible School. The kids get stronger. Our volunteer staff get stronger. We become stronger as a people. We want you to get involved. We want your kids to get involved. Why? Because children are invited. And when children are invited, children are blessed. I think about our youth ministry that's having tremendous growth. That, that are growing not only numerically, but spiritually. And I think about what's happening this summer. Summer camp to Panama City Beach. A mission trip to Auburn, Alabama. Do you know that because of you, because of your consistent giving, and because many of you have scholarship kids that go to camp and mission trip this year, that Pastor Matt is able to invite kids, kids whose parents can't afford to send them, or, 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 or kids whose parents haven't made that a priority yet in their, in their students' lives. Pastor Matt is able to invite them. And say, come, come to, come to camp. Come get your life changed at a mission trip. And it's because you and I together, in the spirit of Jesus, we've invited kids to the kingdom. And when they're invited, they are blessed. They are blessed by that. You know, there has been a, an issue in children's ministry and youth ministry that some of you have dealt with when you were growing up. It's an issue that says a whole lot, and it's this, the church basement. How many of you have ever been into a Sunday school class or a youth service in the church basement? Is anyone here? We got a few of you. And, and there's something universal about church basements, is they smell like mildew. But churches in the 20th century said, hey, let's put the kids in the basement. Let's put the teenagers in the basement or let's put them in the back room. And I know logistically sometimes that's necessary. But there's an attitude behind that that we must 
watch that attitude and make sure that we're not getting the wrong attitude. And the wrong attitude is this. Kids and teenagers get the leftovers. That, that's not the heart of Jesus. I have a friend of mine who was working with a youth ministry, seeing progress, doing well. And he had an idea. He said, I want one special night for teenagers to bring their friends. And because this is a special, unique night, we're going to need the sanctuary. In the sanctuary, there was, you know, 15 or so adults at this little church who were meeting there in space that was enough for, I'm assuming, a couple hundred people. And they were having their, their little Bible study in that space that they enjoyed. And this volunteer youth pastor went to the church leadership and said, can, can you let us use the sanctuary for one Sunday? For, for one, excuse me, one Wednesday? Can we use that for one Wednesday night? And the leadership and the people said no. They wouldn't give up their space for one night so teenagers could possibly get saved. I think about our church and how... Our church has given up, the adults of this church has given up this space here for our teenagers on Wednesday nights. And as a result, our youth group has essentially doubled on many nights. Kids are getting saved. Kids are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Kids are saying no, no to drugs and promiscuity and to thoughts of suicide and yes to Jesus. And it might be inconvenient for us adults to give up this space, but hasn't the results been worth it? Yeah. Here's the third thing is that Jesus elevates children. Jesus elevates children. He, he puts them at a, a place that, that, that deserves attention and deserves effort and deserves focus. There's an amazing question that came up in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you only ask that question if you want the answer to be you. I'm sure they were expecting Jesus to say, well, of course, the chosen 12. The 12 are the greatest. The disciples are the greatest. Are Peter, James, and John the three? Or John the beloved? That would be the logical response to this, the logical expectation. But then verse 2, he, he called a child to him. See little Aaron down here riding here. And I thought, I can imagine some of y'all can see him on the front row. He called this little child up here. I would call Spencer up here, but then I know you would dance and all that kind of stuff. So, and you're not a child anymore. But imagine if I had a child right up here. And Jesus called this child up and he said, he had, them, had him stand among them. Verse 3, I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What a revolutionary statement. Parents of the ancient world, did, did they love their children? Yes, they did. They loved their children, but in the ancient mind, they thought that children only served the purpose of the state. And... A child's purpose was just to make the community better only. And in this context that Jesus spoke, Herod was in charge of the Jewish people. And the thought would be this. Wouldn't it be great if our child was like Herod, ruling over 
our state, the top, the top of the pyramid with top-down authority, Herod the powerful, Herod the strong, Herod the one in charge. That, that's my dream for kids. That's my dream for my child. But you know what Jesus said? The child doesn't need to become like Herod. Herod needs to become like the child. What a statement. statement was that children are now elevated. Children are not a nuisance to discard. Children are not a problem to get rid of. Children are our great teachers. They teach us innocence. They teach us faith. They, they teach us hope. They, they teach us to, to not fall in traps of cynicism and negativity. But they have a childlike, innocent faith. And Jesus said, if you want to be great... It's not your child becoming like Herod. It's Herod becoming like your child. Serving God out of a pure heart. Serving God out of innocence. Serving God out of love. That is how Jesus elevated children. And you, you will find this to be true if you haven't already. That whenever you serve a child or a teenager, you lead a youth small group, you teach a VBS class. You're involved in child check-in. You are a volunteer through your school, the school your child attends, or you simply are an appropriate friend to your neighbor. When you do that, you think you're helping a kid, and you are. But the child is really helping you because the child will lead you to Jesus and lead you to the spirit of Jesus. That's my fourth observation, is children lead to Jesus. Because this incredible statement that Jesus made, unbelievable. No one had ever made a statement quite like this. And that's in chapter 18, verse 5. It says, whoever welcomes one child like this, it's the same child that he had standing in front of the crowd, in my name welcomes me. An incredible statement. No one had ever said anything quite like it. No rabbi, no Greek philosopher, no Roman poet. And Jesus, who no doubt claimed his deity through statements like this, said, whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Guys, listen. When you serve, when you serve, when you, when you serve that Awana class, you're not serving a bunch of kids. You're serving Jesus. When you're that VBS group leader, you're not just serving those kids, you're serving Jesus. When you take off work and you go to the beach with Matt and Zoe and, and serve kids during the getaway, you're not just serving students, you're serving Jesus. You're doing that. And, and the followers of Jesus figured this out. They figured this out, that Jesus valued children. So the world began to change. Remember that act I told you called Exposure where they would leave the babies on the trash heap. Well, people begin to realize that Christians actually love children and that Christians who followed the teaching of Jesus valued children. And so instead of leaving babies on the trash heap, the citizens of Rome begin to leave babies at the early monasteries 
in the early houses of worship. And from that, the Christian orphanage was born. Because the people of the world knew that those who followed Christ wouldn't throw away a baby, wouldn't throw away a child, wouldn't disregard a life. And so maybe if we can just get the child to the church or get the child to the monastery, then the child would live a better life and not die, not be exterminated. So it was that Christians began to care about the welfare of children. And so early on, when a Christian would be baptized, a baby would be baptized in what we now call a dedication in our church. And knowing that there was a likelihood the parent would die because the mortality rate was around age 30. And so at that dedication or baptism, the church established godparents because the Christians said, We care about children. And so if my brother and sister, if they were to perish, we will take care of their child. Their child will not roam the streets. Their child will not go into slavery. Their child will not be oppressed by forces of darkness. Because as a Christian, as one who follows Christ, as one who follows the the one who values children, we will be there to take care of the children if their parents die. Around the fourth century, now a Christian emperor He made that dreadful practice of exposure illegal. And it happened because Jesus valued children. And the followers of Jesus kept valuing children. And since that time, the church has had orphanages. The church has taken care of children, not only in the country where that Christian is, but around the world, uh, valuing children in other countries. The church has been the leader of the adoption movement here in modern America. It's the church and the Christians within the church that are part of the fostering movement. And in the last 15 years, it's been amazing to see how Christians have begun to foster children and take care of those who didn't have parents. This didn't happen accidentally. This didn't happen culturally. It happened because one man who happened to be God himself said, the children are going to come unto me. Don't, don't rebuke the children. I want to bless the children. I want to put my hands on their heads and bless them. The kingdom of God belongs to the children. And if you want to see me, you will serve the children. That's the heritage that we have. The heritage that God has given us. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Church of Indian Lake, for being that type of people. And I want you to know this, that whatever your role is in this body, you're part of impacting children or youth. You may not have direct involvement. That might not be what God's called you to do right now. You may not be teaching a class or volunteering for some of the things I mentioned. But whatever role you play here as an usher, as one who gives financially, as one who helps maintain a 242 group, and ministers to the parents of the children. As one who just uh, gives an inviting presence here, you're impacting youth and kids. And I want to say to our intercessory prayer team, man, listen, there are a group of people who weekly pray for this church that have prayed in, prayed in what God has done with our youth and teenagers. And they are just as much a part of this. Many of them both volunteer and pray, but some have the ministry of intercession and it impacts kids and it impacts teenagers. So we're all part of this. All right. 
all part of this, all called to this. And I want, I want you to know something. The best is ahead. The best is ahead. We have a mandate from the Lord. We're living in a land that has turned its heart away from God. And the hope for our land is not in politics. The hope for our land is not in our organization that always falls short. The hope for our land is not in some certain policy that's going to change everything. The hope for our land is in Jesus Christ raising up a new generation that is more about prayer than they are selfishness. That is more about God's work than they are about materialism. That is more about holiness than they are sin. And you and I get to be part of that as as a collective body, as a church. And listen, we're not a perfect church. We're a flawed church. We have so much to work on. We have so much to get better at. We have so much to improve at. But we are a people who are going to follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to welcome children. We're going to invite them, welcome them, bless them, and elevate them for God's glory and God's kingdom. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus.